Welcome to this podcast of the Grazia Dio Business Review. This is Audra Quinn, Managing Editor of the GBR, and I'm here today with David Scalise, Professor of Business Law at the University of San Francisco. Thanks for joining us today, David. Well, you're welcome, Audra. I'm looking forward to it. Great. So along with Alexa Koenig and Brandon Carr, David is the co-author of The Quest for Distinctiveness in Trademark and Trade Dress Law, What It Means and How to Get It, which explores some critical intellectual property issues for businesses. This article can be found in Volume 14, Issue 1 of the Grazidio Business Review at gbr.pepperdine.edu. Now, I should know that this article is the first of a three-part series on trademark law, and you and your co-authors have submitted those for the Grazidio Business Review. So tell me a little bit about how you became interested in this topic and how the whole project came about. Well, from long ago, Audra, I've been writing what we call cross-discipline articles. These are articles writing on the cusp of where two academic disciplines merge. For example, law and real estate, law and international business, even law and psychiatry were my favorites. And uh, my colleagues would tell me that my research was scattered and I had no focus. But honestly, I felt it was varied and and, and interesting because the challenge here is that you have to learn someone else's discipline. And it mm-hmm. always allows for collaboration. And, of course, uh, there's a learning curve that's always fun. This particular uh, trilogy dealt with uh, law and marketing. And the three articles all have something similar. There's a common thread that runs through. And prior to that, I had written one huge article in law and marketing, and I didn't really know what I was doing. This monster article got so big, I I hid it in a closet, and I wouldn't open the door. But an editor said, cut it in half. So I did, and it worked. So I thought, why not three articles? Cut it into thirds. And that Uh became the trademark trilogy. And they have a common thread that's... uh, drawn between them, common elements, but they're standalone articles, well-researched, and I think topical, if not interesting, primarily dedicated to practitioners and academics. They include four-color graphics, but they're really standalone articles. One leads to the other, and I like to think there's a little touch of levity in these, Audra. Mm-hmm. And so how did Alexa and Brandon become part of the project? Uh, well, Alexa, Alexa Koenig is uh, a Ph.D. candidate at the University of California and formerly a law professor at USF, uh, where she taught for five years. Mm-hmm. And although this doesn't exactly line up with her interests in uh, in research, uh, she came aboard because she has she's an incredible copy editor and a researcher, and she's just interested in a variety of things. Brandon Carr, a third-year College of Hastings Law student, he was Phi Beta Kappa at UCLA, just a really bright guy who helped us first with citation checking, and then as we got more and more involved with the trilogy, I asked them to join me as co-authors. Very interesting. Okay. And just one more time for listeners, the Quest for Distinctiveness article can be found at gbr.pepperdine.edu. So let's start with the basics of trademark and trade dress law. What is the difference between these two, the trademark and the trade dress? Think of a trademark as a sign or a symbol, a shape, it could be a slogan, and now they are trademarking texture and even smell. 
So huh. IBM, 49ers, Shell Oil, the Nike swoosh, these are all trademarks. And, of course, the Nike trademark is uh, known worldwide. Now, trade dress is something a little more. Trade dress, a relatively recent concept, by the way, is a collage of elements, any one of which would probably not be protected. But as you look at it, it actually then becomes collectively known as trade dress, and many companies are using it. The, the classic case, in fact, the only Supreme Court case, was Taco Cabana versus Two Pesos, two Mexican restaurants in Texas, Taco Cabana had a certain distinctive style and ambiance, and two pesos started their chain very much like looking like uh, Taco Cabana. Taco Cabana sues because the color schemes, awnings, the signage, the menu, the ambiance and decor was strikingly similar. So there might be a likelihood of confusion between the two restaurants. Supreme Court held for Taco Cabana, and what they're really doing now, the Supreme Court, is endorsing a marketing plan. Hmm. How interesting. All right, so in the article, you also discuss why it's so important for companies to choose a trademark or a logo or trade dress that is distinct. So can you explain briefly what it means to be distinct and, uh, and why that's so important? The primary purpose of a trademark is to avoid confusion in the marketplace, whether it's at the point of sale or whether it's in print advertisements or electronic advertisement, you want the consumer to readily identify the source of the product or service that they're investigating. And the company wants to capitalize on product loyalty. In other words, you want to make sure that the consumer comes back and recognizes your branding time after time because loyalty translates to goodwill and goodwill to recurring sales. There's nothing really mystical here, Audra. You want your trademark to be distinct so that it's distinguishable from others. Mm -hmm. And then also enjoys legal protection, right? Yes, and that's where we get into qualifying marks and dress as to whether the federal government will issue protection for them. And that's really the key when you contemplate a trademark for the first time, naming your company or or a new product line. You really have to do some research to see what trademarks are available and to make sure that your trademark will be protected. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's see how this would work in, in practice. Let's say I started a company growing and selling apples and decided to use the name Apple Inc. as my brand name. Could then the computer company sue me? And could well, other a, Apple orchards sue me? <laughs> well, there's a couple things with your example. Apple is, the word Apple is a generic. That is, it stands for a certain kind of a fruit. So keep in mind that that word Apple probably would not be protected by the federal government unless it's associated with a specific product like Apple computers. Mm-hmm. Now, let me change your example just a bit here, Audrey. Instead of talking about apples in an orchard, how about this example? Let's say you came up with a great idea for uh, dinnerware napkins, and you want to call them apple napkins. And let's say perhaps you used the pulp from an apple tree to create these napkins so they had a distinctive uh, aroma. Hmm. <laughs> this is a great and business idea. <laughs> well, a uh, pink color, perhaps. Now, yeah. Apple napkins, since you've got two generic terms, 
collectively they might work and you might be able to protect those terms. Now think about Apple computers. What you've done is really eliminate any confusion in the marketplace because anyone walking into a retailer is not going in there looking for a computer, then get confused and picked up a package of napkins. So the likelihood of confusion has been eliminated by your use of the word napkins. Those are dissimilar products and hence there wouldn't be a lawsuit. You're safe. But let me mention something uh, as an anecdote. Uh, mm -hmm. Long ago, about 15 years ago, Apple Records, you might recall, the Beatles oh. collage of tunes and sure. subsequently sold in large part to Michael Jackson, uh, and Apple Computer came into being. They signed an agreement that neither would encroach upon each other's industry, music and computers. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they allowed each other to use the word Apple in describing their industry or, or company. And then what did Steve Jobs do? He came up with iTunes. Uh-oh, oops, lawsuit, right. infringement. But that was resolved. All parties are happy now, and I think there was probably an exchange of money from Apple Computer to Apple Records to smooth over the legal issues. Most likely. <laughs> All right. Well, um, back to the article. In the article, you coined the term genericide, which I love, by the way. Um, maybe you can tell listeners, what is genericide and why is that such a nightmare for our company? Uh, Audra, I don't think we coined it, actually. I think Alexa Koenig uh, probably took that from another quote out of another book. That's been around for a while. But oh, okay. the term genericide, it's ironic. Oddly, the more a company promotes their brand and wants you to remember their logo and company name, spending millions of dollars along the way, the more likely it will become generic to represent a group of products. Let me give you a couple examples. Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola publicized cola for many, many years until finally people would simply order a cola or go looking for you know, this amber-colored drink on the shelf. It lost its protection, and then we now have Pepsi-Cola, RC-Cola, uh, because that term cola became standing for this amber-colored carbonated drink. Aspirin is another one. Aspirin was a fanciful term by the Bayer Company back in 1914, but mm. people became to use aspirin in place of its function as a pain reliever. And we don't say, hand me that pain reliever now. We say, hand me that aspirin. And Bayer right. lost that. It doesn't mean Bayer can't use it anymore. It just means Bayer has lost the right to protect it. Now, the issue at hand is Xerox. So if you ask someone to make you a reproduction from that machine, Audra, you probably ask them to go make a Xerox copy, don't you? I have, yes. <laughs> so now Xerox is becoming a verb, much like yeah. Google. You don't say, yeah, let's go after that search engine for this, this term. No, you don't say search engine. You say, let's Google that. Well, Google's afraid that they're going to lose that word as being a generic term for searches, Internet searches. So, right. so you can see that they're trying to say, don't use, don't use Xerox, don't use Google as a verb. Use it as a noun. You make reproductions on the Xerox machine. You make an Internet search using the tool of Google. So it's, it's quite dicey, and that's the irony. You plug in all this money to build up your brand name, and then you lose it to this concept of genericide. Yeah, wow. So you heard it here, folks. Stop using Google as a verb. <laughs> hey, Audra, I just want to say thank you. 
uh, and uh, thanks to Nancy Dodd to working with uh, GBR Review has been an absolute delight. You, you're a, a group of artists and editors who have made this all work, and I love your website, and I'll be yeah. touting it uh, in my future conferences that I'll be attending and presenting these papers. And also, I'd like to take this moment just to thank my co-authors, uh, Alexa Canning and, and Brandon Carr, for all their uh, support and help uh, throughout uh, the trilogy. Thanks, Audra. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for those kind words. And for the rest of you out there, be sure to check out the full-length article, The Quest for Distinctiveness in Trademark and Trade Dress Law, What It Means and How to Get It, at gbr.pepperdine.edu. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast of the Grazi Dio Business Review.